The podcast you're about to listen to was taken from one of our live programs. If you don't already listen to Radio Maria Live, you can do so on DAB in selected regions of the United Kingdom or by downloading the app. Just search for Radio Maria Play. All the Radio Maria podcasts are conveniently stored on this app. We'd like to thank all our listeners who support us with monthly donations so that we can continue to be a Christian voice by your side. To find out more about becoming a monthly supporter, visit www.radiomariaengland.uk. This is Culture Tuesday on today, Tuesday, the 28th of November. And today we have a house full of folks to share with you about the BBC series Time. We've got Father Toby Lees, Priest Director of Radio Maria. Good morning, Father Toby. Good morning, Jimena. Good morning, listeners. And good morning, Teresa. And then we have Teresa Alessandra. She is the Catholic representative for PACT, who also does parish outreach. Thanks for coming and joining us on the program, Teresa. Uh, Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. Teresa, I think I may have said Alessandra, but it's Alessandro. It is Alessandro. Uh, Yes, that's the way I say it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm going to say it as well. Before we start our programme, which is going to be a heavy programme, listeners, we do want to give you a bit of a warning. It's... There are going to be some delicate issues talked about in with this, talking about the series time. It is uh, there'll be some for those that have uh, alcohol uh, triggers or family issues. We will some of these topics will be brought up on today's program. And if this might be something that will cause you distress or anxiety, uh, maybe this is a be- a good moment to uh, take a moment away from the radio. But it will be well worth listening to and uh, listening in and and seeing if you have had these experiences or perhaps you'd like to pray with us for those folks that are in prison, coming out of prison or have family members in prison. But let's start off the best way with a prayer. Father Toby Lees, could you start us off, please? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for the mercy and love you give us each day. We humbly ask for your assistance for all prisoners. You know intimately of the many trials, temptations and sufferings that each of us faces in our fallen world. And you want all of us to turn to you in repentance for our sins and to serve you in friendship. We ask you to be with all who are in need of conversion in their lives. Please pour out your assistance upon all of us, especially those who are in prison, and especially those among us who have hardened hearts in need of conversion. Help us to repent of our sins and to grow with you day by day. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Toby. All right. Time is a two-season series on BBC. It can be seen on iPlayer if you are a, what's it called, a BBC subscriber? License. License, if you're a licensed viewer. And it has recently come out this year. Last year, Father Toby and I spoke about Time Season 1, which really looked at men in prisons and what they go through. And the main theme, I think, we if you agree with me, Father Toby, was re- redemption and forgiveness. The, yeah, the the... The the struggle to, to to forgive 
um, and the and the need to be forgiven. The series creators have moved on to women in prison, still highlighting redemption and forgiveness in this series. In series two, it's a three-part series. Each episode is about an hour long, but it focuses on three women that have been pulled together as they arrive at a prison on the same day. Each, each of these women are a daughter in some ways and also are mothers. One, Orla, is one mother that is trying to fight and keep her children out of care and is wrestling to keep her life still on track. The youngest character, Kelsey, is a heroin addict and finds herself in the first episode being pregnant by her drug dealer boyfriend. And the third character, Abby, is a lifetime prison sentenced, sentenced to lifetime in prison. And she's haunted by a secret that we learn through the three episodes. I think we can share that her secret. Yeah, she is accused of killing and she is accused, uh, convicted of killing her baby. So we have these three mothers that are dealing with this life changing idea of moving into a prison, not moving, being forced into a prison, convicted into a prison, sharing a space and also dealing with becoming mothers or continuing to be mothers. Teresa, before we go into like the main thing about the series, how you've seen it, how accurate is this portrayal of life in prison for women? Yeah, I think that's a good question, actually, Helena, because I think people might watch it and feel that it's been dramatised in some way and that it can't be as as um, distressing as it seems. When when my husband and I sat down to watch the first episode, we had we had a cup of tea, you know, and we were we were going to maybe binge watch all of it. But actually, after the first episode, we had to take a break because it was just so difficult to watch. And um, I've spoken to other people who found the same, but. Uh, it is the case. It is the case that that it it is um, very realistic, you know, in in its depiction. The things that happen um, are what happens in women's prisons. And, and interestingly, one of the consultants for the series is a woman called Paula Harriet, who is a trustee at PACT, and is a woman herself who was in prison um, some years ago when her children were younger, and um, has ever since worked to try and change the criminal justice system and make it make it work better. Um, in, in helping people really turn their lives around. Um, and so, uh, you know, Paula, Paula's input into that series means that we can be confident that it does depict what life is like for women in prison. And, and I, think it's, I think it's helpful to say that if people, uh, sometimes because it's distressing to watch, people might want to minimise a little bit and tell themselves, distance themselves a little bit and say it's not as bad as that, but actually it is as distressing as it, as it appears in the series. And I think that's important for people to recognise. Did one of the things was the visitor center, and I know from last from you coming on and sharing with us each month uh, that the visitor centers can be uh, places because it's in the public. You're not alone with your family members, and in the series we get to see the children visiting their mother. We get to see the husband visiting and the mothers visiting their daughters in prison. With this. And there's also there's always guards around. Was that how it is in real life? I mean, you don't have like I mean, with the kids, you'd think there'd be like little playthings or something, at least while they're waiting to go see the moms. 
Yeah, so, well, there's two things there. So there's a visitor centre outside the prison gates where families arrive and PACT operates those in, in more than 60 prisons across England and Wales. Uh, and so that's where families arrive and we try and uh, help people just get over their journey and, and get ready to go inside and check the regulations about what they're wearing and the documentation and so on. We help people prepare and we would um, help the children particularly to prepare because as we saw in the programme, on their way in then to the visits hall inside the prison where they meet their loved ones, uh, they will be searched and um, have to go through a procedure, perhaps queue up. Uh, there may be drug dogs who also search the children. I think we saw that in the in the um, episode there. And so it can be very, very distressing for children and overwhelming. Um, and so we try and talk to children about that and prepare them. And we have them, um, we have a little packed teddy bear, William the Bear, who um, is around in the visitor centre and there's, you know, posters of him. And we try and kind of, um, I suppose the word is humanise and make the spaces as family friendly as we can on the way in to the visits hall. Um, that visits hall shown in the in the series was um, was quite stark, and there there are prisons where that's the case. But but we try where we are, and um, other charities where they're operating these spaces too may may well try to to you know have one corner that has some children's activities and some pictures on the walls. But uh, there's a difference between an everyday uh, family visit and a, and a special family day, which uh, we try and organise um, where we are, you know, once a month or something like that. Uh, so on a special family visit day, there will be a little more um, uh, more relaxed regulations and families will be able to, to play thing, uh, together and maybe eat together and things. But on a standard visit, you know, where you saw the children needing to sit opposite the mum in quite a stark environment, um, you know, that, that is what it's like. And it is the case that there will be prison officers, you know, standing around and you can feel very, I, I always think you, you must feel very observed in that situation. Um, and uh, um, it's also the case, of course, that other prisoners are observing each other. And, you know, if there's been a falling out or something, that I'm sure that feels quite uncomfortable too for the person in that situation, you know. I mean, it's, I sometimes think if you, you know, when my children were young, if one of them had a tantrum in the supermarket, you could, you could feel very judged as a mother, can't you? You know, in the way you manage that tantrum, um, you know, you can't do right for doing wrong in that situation in, very, in a very public setting. And so if you have your child coming to visit you in prison with all of the kind of stigma around that and then your child is upset and, and it's difficult to deal with that in the time frame with all these people watching, I, I just imagine that that must feel absolutely awful. And, and I thought that was realistic. Oh. And then it also goes into phone calls because you're you're always watched in the phone calls as well. And there's people around and you can't you have that same situation where you think at least that might be a personal connection. No, you're still surrounded by guards, da, 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 listening and there's no time and everything's going by so fast. Yeah, I think time can be a real problem with using the phone in prison. I think um Sometimes people do have a little more privacy for phone calls, I think, than we maybe saw in the programme, but it's, it varies. But official calls like that, you know, would be, you know, that's quite right that the chaplain might well, um, you know, host a call like that, uh, that we saw with um, the mother speaking to the social worker and so on. Um, uh, I think 
one of the things that families say sometimes is that it's very difficult for them at home. They feel they've got to have their phone on all the time and be ready to answer it because their loved one is going to ring when it, when it works with the prison regime and they've just got that little window and then someone else is waiting and so it needs to be now. And if that family member at home isn't able to take the call at that moment, they feel they've let down their loved one inside, you know, because they've missed that chance to connect and they don't know when the next chance might be. So I think that's another kind of source of stress for people inside. And one question I had about the the phone calls was that there's there's a real inhumanity at at the beginning of it where sort of Orla played by Jodie Whittaker is is trying to make more than two phone calls to to sort out um you know care 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 for her her children and and is that that a, a realistic sort of problem that that somebody might actually struggle or or would we see more concession to particular circumstances, like particularly where children are involved? Well, I think uh, I think that's a really interesting question because again, um, I, partly I think it would be a bit variable, you know, each prison operates very differently, but there are strong regulations about calls. Um, and, you know, we, we certainly at PACT have known people who haven't been able to call a family member because they didn't know what their phone number was. And you have to put their phone number on the form and they have to be, you know, you have to have the date of birth of the person as well. You know, we've known people who uh, a young man was inside, he couldn't call his dad because he didn't because he didn't know the number. Then his dad couldn't visit because he didn't know his date of birth to put on the form. You know, that, so there is a, a sense of the, the system triumphs, yeah. uh, whatever the kind of human uh, situations may be. I think I think that is uh, a, a fair depiction. Yes. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that's sort of quite sensitively portrayed in that is that it doesn't just demonize prison workers. It, it shows very much the, the humanity of the guards and yet at the same time trying to work within a, a system where you have people trying to gain game the system and people at the same same time sort of, you know, suffering because of the the system and, and trying to preserve their humanity and their ability to to love but also to to carry out the the job that that they're supposed to do, I thought that was quite thoughtfully portrayed. Yes, I, I would agree because I think you know um, it's easy to blame the prison officers, but actually there are some fantastic people working in prison. Mm. You know, fantastic people, um, and uh, we at PACT, uh, you know, try to have really good relationships with prison officers uh, right up to governor level because because there are you know lots of people trying to make things better, but but we are all stuck in a system that is. Um, uh, I would say broken, you know, that, that it's just very, very difficult to, to make a positive difference. But there are people doing that. Mm. And it strikes me hardly anybody remembers phone numbers anymore as well. You know, uh, when yes. I was young, I used to have loads in my head. Now, now I have about two in my head. Exactly, exactly. This is Radio Maria and this is your Culture Tuesday for today. Today, we're looking and discussing the BBC series Time season two, which takes a look at three women, Orla, Abby and Kelsey, as they navigate their newfound lives in prison and navigating the fellow prisoners, the system and how to take how to be mothers in these situations. Father Toby, we talked about how uh, for season one, it was uh, there was a forgiveness and redemption. And in season one, uh, which was the male prisons, the chaplain who is the same as in season two, which was exciting to see her back. Mm -hmm. uh, she had a, a large role in season one with helping 
accompany the main character into finding redemption, finding forgiveness. But in, in this season, she, in a way, she is there. She is present. But I feel like she was less... Well, uh, physically less uh, part of this redemption story. And you were sharing with me about how it's still as in the first season, there's an important part of how we find forgiveness and how we find redemption. Can you share with us a little bit about that, Father Toby? Yeah, well, I just thought the, the first thing to say on it is it, it's like it's slightly tedious with the with the chaplain here and that she's kind of given some story about being in in love with a sort of a priest and a fair and just always it seems that um it was refreshing in the first thing there didn't seem to be any like big flaw in the chaplain's life but here it sort of reverted to the type that if you're to show a a kind of a a character in, in religious life or a priest on a drama they've got to either be an alcoholic or they've got to be in an affair and they can't just be a kind of a regular chaplain doing their thing and there seemed there seemed a, a slightly greater sort of skepticism in this series as to the 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 role of a, a chaplain both the, the way it's written into the reaction of the of the women to the chaplain versus sort of that of the of the men so it's almost the the, the chaplain manages to provide some help in in spite of a a general well, sort of dislike or, um, you know, sort of doubt that, that she's actually sort of really on their side trying to do anything um, for them. Like, I think she, she's very well played, but I think the the role that plays um, the sort of the probably the most poignant scene is where uh, um, Abby, who has, um, you know, taken the, the life of her, of her own child and um, which we learn about in a, in a series of of flashbacks and um the chaplain sort of asked her like you know if if you could have any one thing what would it be and and first of all she she replies well to turn back time um to to go back and not do it again and she says but yes if you if you could have an any other one thing what would it be and she says to be able to to be able to grieve um and this is where i think the sort of the the transcendent in this program is sort of implied um as opposed to made sort of ex explicit because abby can't let herself grieve in a certain sense because to 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 grieve is the the recognition of in her situation of of wrongdoing but also to open oneself up to the the need for forgiveness and who who can meaningfully forgive Abby for for what she's done, not the child who's not there, um, not the the husband who she's estranged from, and uh, and certainly not the the women who she's surrounded by in prison. And so there's this need for for a transcendent forgiveness, which which transforms. Um, and sometimes I think we forget how radical the you know, Christ's claim to be able to forgive is if we think about the parable of, um, not the parable, the story of the, uh, of the paralyzed man brought in on a, a stretcher and Christ sort of, uh, says, you know, um, proclaims the ability to forgive his sins, but who, who, who is Jesus to forgive the, the sins of this man when he's not been sinned against by his man? You know, it's a claim at divinity. 
um, and that God can, can God can forgive anything, and that's what this this woman sort of desperately needs in in order to be able to grieve and in order to be able to to heal. But I think it would be quite possible to watch this program and and not see that. But to me, it's that's the the transcendent implied. Yeah. So when we were talking, Father Toby, I was saying, oh, but. Most of this season, episode one, episode two, really shows the strength in opening up, in talking, in having this group camaraderie. And the chaplain doesn't seem to be of, of any need for it. And Father Toby said, no, just wait, just wait till the third. And it is, it, it's a slight little mention of the he, Christ is named and it does come. And if you look at the other characters as well, they don't have... So Abby, let's stick with Abby, the woman that killed her child. She she finds she's able to grieve. She's able, oh, sorry, spoiler alert. But she's able to do this and it has nothing to do with the other women, has nothing to do with the other child. And hence, she becomes able to start healing. Orla is the character, Jodie Whittaker character, that has the children as well. And in a way, she is the first to say she's Catholic and she is the first to really utilize the chaplain and the resources that she can have with the chaplain to be able to speak to her kids and things. But she never quite gets to the point. So when she's asked, would you do it again? She says, yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat because her her crime is going and what exactly is her? She kept saying finicking with the licky. And I didn't, I was like, what is this British term? Yeah. So she, she's, <laughs> she's fiddling with the electricity um, bills or probably uh, like tampering with the meter, trying to put it on a, on a lower reading or, or so, somehow. So it's what, what you're supposed to realize is the, the kind of the, the certain, the, the craziness that sees somebody who is struggling to pay the electricity bills ending up. Um, in inside inside prison for like three months or six months or something just for for playing with the electricity is yeah. that uh, and then and then and then the difficulty of the fact that you lose your job going into jail and then you've got the the even greater difficulty of finding work um, and legitimate work um, after after being released and how just life gets harder and harder. Um, for somebody who was already in, in circumstances in which they couldn't really cope. So I think you see with all of a kind of a naivety, but also the, the fail, gener, generational failures in, in, yeah. in parenting as well. Um, and but I, I'd be interested to hear ter, oh, yeah. Teresa sort of, you know, speak on this and the, and the, the difficulties of people once they sort of get in and then getting out and then kind of, finding themselves in the in the same set of circumstances and, and back inside again. Yes, uh, uh, thank you. I think there's a couple of things there. It's true that uh, we would we would advocate avoiding short sentences for um, for women particularly who uh, because the effect on the um, life of that woman, as you say, is so disruptive and so disruptive for the children just to go in, into prison just for a short time for a crime which is not violent. Um, and um, which there are, you can see, uh, mitigating circumstances and so on. So uh, it, I sometimes say this on Radio Maria, it's, it's a fact that uh, for, for children whose mother goes to prison, 95% of those children will have to leave the family home 
because their mother's gone to prison. And so it is massively disruptive. And we could see the kind of storyline there for all of that. You know, she, she leaves prison with a tent, which is a real situation that does happen to women leaving prison. Um, uh, and it, it seems impossible to imagine that she'll be able to um, find a way to get as you say, work now that she has a prison sentence behind her and and be able to bring the family back together. It seems impossible to imagine the mountain she has to climb. But what I think is captured well there in some of what you were saying earlier about um, the women's situations and whether chaplaincy was useful to them and so on. I think I think it's important to notice the resilience of those women who are in these awful situations, but are nevertheless keeping going, you know, and trying to find a way to to make make their lives work again you know there is massive resilience there and sometimes there is also um a distrust of people in authority positions such as the chaplain and i think i think maybe that's something that was trying to sort of be brought out there in the drama that that um you know you imagine that a chaplain can go in and make everything right and have a really good conversation and everything's going to be much better and of course um, the person on the receiving end has already been through so much. Look, all she did was fiddle the electricity meter to try and make ends meet for her children. And now she's been completely separated from her children. And she didn't even know who was going to pick them up from school that day and wasn't able to talk to them about it. And, um, you know, there's a sense in which she, she might, you know, women in those situations might actually not be particularly trusting of people who say they're going to be able to help them by just doing this and doing that and, and having a nice conversation. So I think I think I, I thought it was quite useful that the chaplain was struggling to communicate with those women actually in the sense that sometimes myself and my colleague when we're talking to Catholic people about um, the criminal justice system, we just like to say it, you know, it isn't fluffy. It isn't fluffy supporting people in prison uh, or people affected by imprisonment. It's, it's hard, it's complicated. It, people's lives are very messy and uh, and yet people are resilient and there are opportunities for people to find redemption and to truly make a fresh start you know as as was shown there in different ways um so i, I agree with you that that part of the storyline with the chaplain was it, it didn't strike entirely right for me either but i but i thought there was some serious uh, point to be made there about just capturing that that this is it's yeah, well, I think the chap the chaplain is 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 part of the system, isn't it? And these people feel very yeah. much failed by 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 the yeah. by the system, and so therefore, like I my my issue I took with the 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 chaplain was purely just in why did she have to have this kind of you know affair affair with the priest, which just didn't seem to add an awful lot to the 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 storyline, and and also didn't seem the sort of thing that she would admit to a prisoner, anyway. Um. But uh, but the sort of yeah the having to be in there the the long haul to to try and actually build up a relationship of of trust whereby you can um, actually have the the sort of conversations which go beyond the superficial that, and therefore start to to help. Well, that that's something I'm aware of in my in my own life that it's amazing just how long that can take and but then also how suddenly it can happen as well. Right. That having been in a long relationship with somebody in a pastoral circumstance, that just one day it seems to suddenly change. Um, uh, but I, I, I don't know whether you would agree. The the overriding theme to me in the in the drama seemed to, to be. I felt I felt it was a drama about motherhood. 
Um, yeah. And I felt it was a drama about motherhood that happened to occur within the context of three women in, in prison. Um, but that it was first and foremost about motherhood. And I don't know whether that was the intention of Jimmy McGovern and, and the, and the team behind it, but that what you mentioned about the sort of the, the, the resilience, um, and actually just the, 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 the strength of mothers in, in spite of often sort of appalling circumstances and the way that you can't, you can't undo motherhood. It, it's, it, it's once you're a mother, you're always a, a, a mother, you know, that's something that's permanently changed about you. And I, I felt this was about living as daughters and, and living as, as mothers in incredibly difficult circumstances. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Yes. And one of the things that we there's some really good research about uh, motherhood in and after prison. There's a great book called Motherhood in and After Prison by Dr. Lucy Baldwin, who we've worked with at PACT uh, quite a bit. And um, she interviews women who are affected by imprisonment. And um, one of the things that she highlights that I think is really worth capturing here is that for, for mothers, we, we put our expectations of motherhood as a society we put on a kind of pedestal that that a woman who's a mother is supposed to be amazing all the time really caring putting her children first you know um organized um perfect in in a way that um then once someone has uh been convicted of a crime um women say that you know people think that they are a bad mother because they've been convicted of a crime but but it might not be anything to do with their their parenting with their with their relationship with their children and um and even if it is everybody makes mistakes and 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 yet somehow we we have this much higher expectation of a woman because she's a mother that that somehow a mother making a mistake is much more serious than somebody else making a mistake um and and that women can find that very difficult to move on from uh in in um the community and in their extended family upon leaving prison still they can feel this being regarded as somebody that oh well you know she's not a very good mother because because she went to prison um so uh, there's you know there's a lot there to to kind of reflect on i think in in our expectations of women as um as mothers as, uh, you know that, that we have we have we have different standards there somehow Mm. I do think it's something uh, this is a good series to watch uh, as an adult with your mother as well because there's a lot of tear jerking moments with the little kids and with the baby but also as an adult uh, with that relationship with your adult mother as well there's some really lovely moments and some time to look into that relationship as well so there you mm. go Father Toby and Teresa and all of PACT, thank you so much for joining us today on our Culture Tuesday. Before we leave, Teresa, could you uh, end our programme with a prayer, please, my dear? Of course. Uh, and this is the prayer written by Bishop Richard Moth, who's the liaison bishop for prisons. Lord Jesus Christ, you have come so that we may have life to the full. Listen to our prayers for all in prison and their families. Touched by your spirit, may they find newness of heart and be open to that new life that is found only in you. May they know care and receive support from those around them. May they find new purpose in serving you in their brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen.